This fucking guy. Hello, my chicken tacos. Welcome to This Fucking Guy, a podcast about self-care if self-care is one long scream into the void. Here is where we use expletives and alcohol to emotionally process the creeps, jerks, and P-words that compose the shitty elevator music of our lives. I'm a badass bitch, Len Martinez. And I'm bitch-ass bad, Ginger Golub. I mean, at least your back is. Every once in a while, you can just tell that I'm on some medication when I craft the script templates. Yeah, I mean, it is. it does seem to be like I have to kind of check in with you and be like, so, is there, which body part's failing you today? <laughs> and it's usually between one and ten different ones, you know? I mean, it's, it's rarely more than ten. Rarely more than ten. Often more than one. Often more than one. <laughs> I'd so. say rarely more than three. <laughs> so, Rem, what, what, what's screaming into the void have you for me? Um, you know, other than like, I mean, obviously the world's still on fire, you know, hot news alert, things still suck. Um, actually, uh, this is kind of just a fun update thing. Um, this weekend I went to see my family. It was my niece's sixth birthday and, uh, the international Jew helped me out dramatically because I didn't I don't know think what I knew to- about this. Yeah, I didn't know what to get her and I called my mom and she was like, I don't know, like, stuff and i was like the girl has three rooms full of toys i just i don't want to give her more stuff and she's like well right now she's really into board games so i was like well let me hit up ginger's husband and so he had a bunch of different suggestions and i ended up getting one called labyrinth okay um and he was very excited so it was good and even my sister specifically was like look Things we can do as a family and aren't going to, like, trash my living room. And, I'm and, like, See? and aren't Monopoly and are going to tear your family apart. Exactly. So that was fun. But while we were up there, me and my husband and one of my other sisters went to a drive-in drag show. Mm. Which was new and interesting because obviously there's, like, I don't know if you've heard, there's, like, this, like, sickness going around. So, uh, obviously, instead of standing around next to each other and being a whole cesspool, you, uh, drove into this Macy's parking lot, and they had, like, a stage set up and jumbotrons and whatever, uh, and my sister and my husband were fucking trashed even (laughs) before we got there, but we had a really, really good time, and the drag queens were lovely and amazing, and in particular, there was, like, five cars down. Like, the whole idea was, like, you could be outside your car, but, like, please don't leave your cars in yeah. the immediate area. There was a there was a couple friends, and there was one dude who was fucking getting down. Like, I mean, twerking, popping. Ooh, yes. Just mm. living, like, mm. getting mm. into it. And my husband's like, I am so impressed by this man. I mean, this is really positive male <laughs> influence. Like, he is just so confident. I wish I had that confidence. And I was like... That's one. That's a wonderful sentiment. Please don't puke in the car. Please don't puke in the car. <laughs> they were sharing a thermos of Woodford Reserve, so oh. it got a. And again, that's that's after everything else they drank. Oh bless! So it was um. They had a really good time. I had a really good time too. I just had a sober time. Did he come back with you from Northern? Is he still there? They they both came back. Um, but we ended up having like. Because they're drunk. We ended up having like this deep conversation about toxic masculinity and communication and like, you know, openness and vulnerability and all this stuff. And it got to the point where it was really between my sister and him just like going at it and like not in a conflicty way, but just like mm-hmm. in a drunk, deep discussion way. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Um, y'all sit in the car because we'd come, we'd already sat in the driveway for like half an hour at this point. And I'm like, I'm going to go inside now. Just let us know. And they were in that car for another two hours. Please don't throw up. They did not throw up. Well, it was actually it was actually his car, so he definitely didn't want oh, to throw up oh, his car. Yeah. Um, but you know, they had like another two hours of just like deep emotional, like yeah, let's talk about this. And I'm very happy for them. And uh, he was only slightly hungover the next morning. Bless. So that's good. How many drag shows did you go to this weekend? Rub it right in, why don't you? <laughs> Rub it right in my face. Not a single what? Not a single Aww. fucking drag show. I'm trying to think what I even did 
this weekend. We finally we finally drove down Monument Avenue to see sort of the absence thereof, and that was very powerful. And like what the Robert E. Lee Monument has been turned into is like the greatest example of contextualization of history. I should silent my phone. How dare you? Continue. Uh <laughs> The greatest contextualization of history that I think any of us could have ever conceived of. So that that was nice because, like, between COVID anxiety and like not having a good excuse and back stuff, like I I just somehow had missed out on Monument Avenue since February. I mean, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. So I guess on that note, it is time. For some therapy. Alright, Ginger. I literally have no idea what the fuck you're gonna talk to me about today. You you don't... I don't even know if you know, like, who this person and what this thing is. If it's, like, on your radar. Because it's been on my radar for a while. It turns out, like, several podcasts have covered it. But I also don't care. I mean... I've never heard of a podcast other than our podcast, so I'm not sure what to to what you're referring. I so here's what had happened. <laughs> um, what had happened was uh, Gingy was on some muscle relaxers and watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that covered this, and it was already on my list. And I was like, "It is a sign from Robert Stack mm. um, that I am to do this thing." So. Um, also, because we try to be timely and, like, you know, not exactly, but all the QAnon stuff um, are... Yeah, there's their thing. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I guess QAnon alert. Now there's, I think, 20 possible congressional candidates that believe in QAnon. Woo! A number we're glad that goes up. Oh, boy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it had me thinking, it's a very bad conspiracy theory both because it does not make logical sense and because chunks of it like Pizzagate have been empirically proven to be false mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. there's that but I also know that we've been writing QAnon pretty hard out here and so I wanted to extend the, the very wispiest of olive branches to these folks and show them what child trafficking really looks like ow oh. Okay. That sounded... I could have worded Let's that better. Let's show you what Let me show you what child trafficking really looks like. Uh, let's do a whole demonstration. Um, oh, goodness. No, that's no, that's super cool. I actually had um, part it, of... It's not about child trafficking in general. It's... Right, no, I... Yeah. It's a specific thing. It's a, it's a specific thing? Is it a specific furniture manufacturer? No. No, not that one? No, I thought about doing the Wayfair thing, but I wasn't sure if it had been, like, adequately covered in our Wayfair, you're just what I need. Sorry. Uh, it's also an ever-evolving situation. You know that I love things that are in the past. Okay, so give it to me. Beulah George Tan, who later went by Georgia, Georgia Tan. You're making a face at me. Oh, yes. This... This is, I have no, I have no actual knowledge of this person. Just that it was on Unsolved Mysteries. Well, except that this is a name that has been spoken that is like, bad shit happened in relation to that. Yeah. But like, I couldn't tell you anything about it other than I'm like, that is a name I know that is associated with badness. Fun. Um, Beulah George Tan, Georgia Tan, was born on July 18th, 1891 in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Different Philadelphia. Her father, Judge George Tan, reportedly had a domineering personality and more or less told his daughter that she would be a concert pianist. And beginning at the age of five, he put her in piano lessons that continued into adulthood. Unfortunately, she despised playing piano. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, sort of, it's sort of the opposite of, like, if only Hitler had uh, gone to art school kind of thing. Well, it's also um, one of those things where once your parent tells you, like, this is the thing you're gonna do for, like, the rest of your life, you're kind of like, well, no. Mm -hmm. I wanna. I wanna. Yeah, but it kind of would have been great if she had become a concert pianist. Yeah. I'm just gonna put that into the world. Um, 
But yeah, she wanted to be a lawyer like her father had been. And surprisingly, and in like a brief cool dad move, he actually helped her study law and she passed the state bar exam in Mississippi. However, her father did not want her to actually practice law because it was unusual for women. So even though she had passed the fucking bar exam and studied law, she didn't get to be a lawyer because it was unusual. It's not unusual <sighs> to be a lady lawyer. What time? What? Well, you said she was born in what? This was, uh, yeah, that she was born in eighteen ninety one. So this would have been like nineteen fifteens, nineteen twenties ish. I mean that that is pretty. Prog- Am I? Do I think Mississippi was progressive for that moment? Do you think one what guy in Mississippi was progressive well, for the like fact a that year they allowed before? A lady to pa- to actually take to take the, the bar. bar. Yeah. Fair. In like 1910. Fair. But yeah. Uh, instead, instead, her family sent her off to Martha Washington College in Abingdon, Virginia, where she graduated with a degree in music in 1913. So it was sometime before 1913. I should have read my next sentence. So they're like, okay, cool. You're going to be a lawyer. And then she like passes the bar. And then they're like, actually, go to college now? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's... The opposite of usually how that works? It wasn't totally clear to me, like, how these things were ordered, but this this was my understanding of it, that, like, sort of in here, she had been, like, studying to be a lawyer, and, like, she passed the bar exam, and then it was like, you're going to be a concert pianist, though, because we done decided. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Yeah, so that's, that was a thing. Um, after she graduated, she wasn't get interested in getting married, um, so she moved to New York and took... Courses in social work at Columbia University for two summers. I have to say, so far, this lady kind of sounds cool. I mean, like, like, like wanted to be a lawyer and, like, at least has some sort of musical background and then went to New York to, like, do social work stuff. I mean, that's... Sounds like you, kind of. Well, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm already uncomfortable as somebody with a social work degree who spent considerable time in Abingdon, Virginia. <laughs> right. Like, you know, truly the ankle of the state. Just (laughs) way out there. Um, Oh, goodness. But, you know, what can you do? Um, Tan eventually got a job at the Mississippi Children's Home Society. In 1922, Tan herself adopted an infant and named her June. George's friend Anne Atwood also worked at the home as a house mother. Um, when Tan was terminated because of her questionable child-placing methods in 1924, a subject that all of my articles just casually gloss over. I mean, it's 1924. Uh Uh-huh. How bad is your child placement planning to be fired for it in 1924 when people were eating lead for breakfast? (laughs) And sending yeah. children at nine years old off to cold mines and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> that has to be pretty bad. Yeah. And Tennessee. Like, not not to shit on Tennessee, but also, like, Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, actually, no. That was Mississippi. But then she moved to Tennessee. Oh. Oh. It's, it's not better. No. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Well, no. I mean, like, it does. The fact that that happened in Mississippi didn't, like, change the fact that it's still, like, how bad you had to be. I mean, I feel like in Mississippi, slightly worse than in Tennessee. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know shit about Mississippi. Why am I talking shit about Mississippi? That's not what we're here for. We are here to talk about how she moved to Memphis with June, uh, her daughter, Atwood, her friend, and Atwood's infant son, Jack. So, Atwood had had this baby out of wedlock Um, And then changed her last name to Hollingsworth, and her son's last name to Hollingsworth, to make it appear that she had been widowed and then skipped town. Um, Mm. But there is some other subtext to this, which is lesbian. Yeah, I was getting that vibe a little bit. Yes. I mean, I I heard it referred to as a Boston marriage an awful lot, which is a term that I find so charming. To be super lesbians. Super lesbians. Uh, (laughs) Um... Yeah, definitely, like, you get into that whole, like, oh, they were just Victorian pen pals, just, like, roommates for their whole lives, just bosom buddies. Yeah, I don't know what that means. 
gal pals. <laughs> it, not that this is like very relevant to the whole story, but I thought it was weird. Uh, Tan adopted Anna Atwood and Hollingsworth, her, her lover. She adopted her lover on August 2nd, 1943 which was a legal provision that same-sex couples used at the time to ensure that their partners would inherit their property. But how fucking weird. That is, that is very weird. It's it's very weird to adopt other adults, mm-hmm. just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely get it from, like, the whole man, our society is homophobic as fuck perspective. It's weird to adopt adults. It's weird to adopt people that you're fucking. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not crazy about either one of those. But yeah. also, no same sex protections, you know, that yeah. this is not what we came here for. In Memphis, uh, Tan was hired as the executive secretary at the Shelby County branch of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, a respected nonprofit that had been chartered in 1897. Tan's place at the Memphis Society uh, and her connections throughout the community helped her build a strong network of supporters, including Tennessee legislators, socially prominent families, like political bosses, mm-hmm. you know, big big wigs, and uh, Judge Camille Kelly, the Shelby County family court judge, through which many of the society's adoptions were finalized. So she did a lot of hobnobbing. She did so much hobnobbing. Um, and she worked her way up the organization structure and eventually took control. I, it was not totally clear to me, perhaps because I did not do as much research as I should have, um, whether like she was very literally in charge of the society or whether it was like in all but actuality she was in charge of it. I got the impression that she like literally was the executive director after a certain point. Hmm. So, prior to the 1920s, adoption was a rare practice in the United States, and the Boston Children's Aid Society placed only five children per year prior to the 20s, just to give you an idea. Fucking city of Boston is like, I don't know, four kids get adopted? Like, that's sort of, yeah, that's where they were operating. I'm guessing they had more than, like, six to adopt out. Presumably, By contrast, in 1928, Tan placed 206 children with adoptive families. Uh, Believing in class distinctions, Tan felt that children should be taken from poor families and placed with what she called people of the higher type. Because of Tan's insistence on choosing wealthy adoptive families, the practice of adoption became associated with the famous and influential, removing much of the stigma that it previously held in American culture. So, like, part of this was her. Part of this was her, like, expanding that it's okay to adopt if you can't have kids or if you don't want to have kids. So, like, classist, but, like, there's there's a good result, I guess. Yes, as with any means of gentrification. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not any means has a positive well, I mean, result, it's like but food trucks, you know what I mean. Right? Like, yeah. food trucks are dirty and gross, and you shouldn't go eat at a food truck, and now it's like, man, who doesn't love a fucking taco truck? But what a weird thing to say about a child. <laughs> Children are just like taco trucks. <laughs> This is how QAnon operates. Exactly. They sell the children from the taco trucks. Mm-hmm. Is this, did I just start a conspiracy? Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, so Tan uh, lived well. The society covered all of her living expenses. The public thought that it was kind of weird that the head of a charity was uh, driving around in literal limousines around town being chauffeured. Um, yeah, I mean, that... Mm, it was a look. That's a long proud tradition of people who run a lot of charities. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. So, while Tennessee law permitted agencies to place children with uh, appropriate applicants, in an effort to ban the selling of children, agencies could charge only for their services. So, okay. you know, play some all you want, boy howdy, but, you know, charge very little so it doesn't become this creepy thing. In keeping with the law, the society charged about $7 for adoptions within Tennessee. However, Tan also arranged for out-of-state private adoptions where she charged a little bit more than $7. We will get to specific numbers, don't worry. Um, 
as many as 80% of adoptions were to parents in New York and California. Records indicate that between 1940 and 1950, the agency placed 3,000 children with just those two states. Wow. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. So there were these two ladies, Alma Walter and Regina Warner, who both worked for TAN. Those names are not going to come up again. Just know that there's, like, people doing specific things. Minions. Um, Minions. They made trips every three weeks with four to six babies in tow. Walton would go to California and Warner would go to New York. They would rent hotel rooms where they would meet with the prospective adoptive parents, most of whom were wealthy. They kind of had to be. Each couple would pay $700 in a check made out to Georgia Tan. Georgia? Georgia, I think that's illegal. I think that's illegal. I think it's called fraud. Uh, Fraud? Fraud, yes. I feel like... It's a fraud. She's the kind of woman and she looks very much like somebody who would have made the children call her fraud. (laughs) Fraud Tan? (laughs) You you should Google a picture of this woman. She's she she looks very grandmotherly to me, so it's jarring. Um, additionally, Tan might charge prospective parents for background checks that she had never pursued, uh, air travel costs at exorbitant rates, and adoption paperwork at five times the actual cost. In addition, the state of Tennessee was contributing another sixty one thousand dollars a year to the agency, and this is in like. 1930 money. Yeah. The equivalent of $12 million to, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Yeah, um, I, I did not research I mean, I believe it. you. Like, I totally believe it you that moment. It feels true. It feels true. <laughs> Just like you and I. With 31% <laughs> of that money going towards the Memphis branch. So, like, they're putting that money in Tennessee, but, like, the majority of that even is going to her home, where she is charging $700 for these weird, shady, out-of-state adoptions. And... It's just, hmm. Cool. So, allegedly profits were kept in a secret bank account under a false corporation name at that time. Uh, It has also been alleged that Tan herself pocketed 80 to 90% of adoption fees for her own personal use. I mean, if you're going to fraud, fraud all the way, man. I mean, like... You know, don't just do a little fraud. Do, like, the full-on thing. Do the embezzlement. Yeah. Do all of the racketeering. Do all that shit. Mm, she did. Uh, she scrolled her money away in a way that we'll probably never know what the total deal what with that was and what she was taking away. And it was, like, the line between her and the society was very blurry because they were taking care of her living expenses. And what is money? Um <laughs> She also failed to report the income to either the society's board or the IRS. Oh, well, the IRS eventually does not like that. Uh, sort of. Maybe. I don't know. Usually, they, they were not the primary people who didn't like well, that. Well, just like, eventually, usually the IRS figures yeah. that out and gets a little irritated. But I mean, in all of this, you may be wondering, like, Ginger, why are you focusing so hard on a social worker who skimmed money? Like, that is some petty shit. Um, and first of all, how dare you? <laughs> uh and second of all let's talk about where these children were coming from that was a kind of a thought because yeah. like three thousand kids is a lot of kids and i don't know like rather numbers mm-hmm. but um uh that's a lot of kids to just have like yeah i mean around like, on one hand there's a part of me where it's like in the 1920s a six-year-old becomes orphaned they like become a barber and make their own way in the world. Like, I don't fucking well, know. Well, I've seen the newsies. They all become newsies. They all become newsies. How many newspapers could there be? <laughs> uh, but ultimately, Tan used a, we will call it, variety of methods to procure children. Um, through pressure tactics, threats of legal action. In other ways, she would dupe or coerce birth parents, mostly poor and single mothers, to turn the children over to her custody, often under false pretenses. Tan also arranged for taking of children born to inmates at Tennessee mental institutions and those born to wards of the state through her connections. Mm. And to meet demand, she resorted to literal kidnappings. Oh, cool. I mean, all of that was kind of kidnappy. All of that was kind of kidnappy, but in this way where, like, the state can justify it, she was also driving around in these limousines being like, little girl, come into my car. <laughs> It's not the white vans, it's the white limousines, oh no! It's a black limousine, even. Like, who knows what to look out for anymore? 
I bet children were afraid of limousines in Tennessee until like the 90s. Hey, little girl, do you want the candy in the back of my limo? Jesus. Weird. Um, so the cases where she bothered to even try to make it look legitimate, um, so you would have instances where single parents would drop off their children at nursery schools, and when they came back to get their kids, the school would just tell them that welfare agents had picked up the children. Ooh. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Woof. That is, um, kind of sickening, honestly. That's yeah. Because what the fuck are you supposed to do about it in the 40s? I mean, you'd... Uh, yeah, I guess you'd be like, who, could they call them? Is there a number? Is there a number? Here? Is there a phone? Do I have to walk five miles out of Ugh. town to find a phone? Ugh. Do I have to let a stranger in on this because I don't have a phone in my house, so I have to go find a neighbor Ugh. and make this very public call in their house to God only knows who. I don't think that they had business cards. They did have calling cards. That was a thing. No, yeah, but like welfare agents. What does that even mean? Sometimes children would be temporarily and sort of legitimately placed in an orphanage because family was experiencing illness or unemployment. That's just what they did then. I don't like it either, but that's just kind of what they did if you didn't have relatives to send them to. I mean, that's, like, that is something that people do sometimes now with the foster care system. Yes. It's the idea that, like, particularly if somebody is experiencing some sort of major crisis, um, I have heard story. It, I, I'm not saying this is the norm, but, like, mm -hmm. the ones that I've heard is, like, people who are... Uh, struggling with substance abuse yeah. and they go to rehab for like 60 days and during that 60 days they don't have any family so they place a kid in foster care and then they come back and prove they're sober and the kid comes back yeah like respite foster care is a thing it is a thing that like we hope works well all of the time uh there's at least a paper trail there's at least a fucking paper trail ain't that the truth um but yeah, again, the family would get back on its feet and try to get their kid back and find out the, the orphanage has adopted them out or had no record of the child ever being placed there in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes Tan took babies born to unwed mothers at birth, claiming that the newborns required medical care and then just fucking running off, uh, Tan... <laughs> Sorry, I just have this image in like like a fucking Corolla Deville lady with like a a giant fur like yes. fur coat, just like stashing a baby under in a nurse's <laughs> hat, just like I'm here legitimately. Um, yeah, that's kind of is she being like like walking around hospitals just like willy nilly? Yes, just like going to like the, the baby incubators and being like, all right, I'm gonna need four of those, five of those, two of those. Like if you would just bag them up, chop chop. Basically, I'm when the mothers asked about the children, Tan or her accomplice would explain that the babies had died. Oh my god. Yeah. When oh they, my god. Uh, what a... Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, all of this is bad, but what a what? soulless piece of shit. Jesus Christ. It, like, another thing to... I don't know if now is the time to derail it with this. Like, I, I was always going to go on an existential thread about this, but, like, this is also the 40s in Tennessee... This is not a racially progressive time, so they are stealing, mm. like, all of the... It's just a very weird situation where there's, like, these, like, racist and classist undertones, these disability undertones. I will get to... I will get to the disability mm, undertones. I'm sure. It is just all very, like, a child as a commodity and, like, just trying to procure these little kids that look like baby dolls with these, like, blonde hair and blue eyes by any means necessary. And Ugh. it's just weird. And Ugh. it's gross. And I'm sure that there were children who, like, actually needed homes. Did she want them? No, because they did not fit the image and she couldn't get $700 from a wealthy mm. couple in mm. New York or California. Mm. <sighs> In 1941, the Society lost its endorsement from the Child Welfare League of America when it discovered that TAN's organization routinely destroyed most of the paperwork associated with its child placements. Yeah, and, mm, even in the 40s, no one likes it when you do that. Like, it's no. really hard to, like, be accredited if you, yeah, that's, mm, that's a red flag and a sea of red flags. Tan argued that since Tennessee adoptions were shielded by privacy laws, the society was not in violation of any practice. Uh, but as a result, they got dropped like a hot sack of shit by mm -hmm. the Child Welfare League of America. Um, and 
that did not stop them from operating. It was just kind of the first ding in their legitimacy. Yeah. Yeah, it usually takes several dings. But, like, while this is going on, people are actually seeing it, and people are going, there's some shit that's fucked up. Well, I mean, at this point, it's like she's taking carry-out bags from hospitals full of babies. Like, someone's gonna notice that and be like, is she supposed to have that many babies? Like, is she supposed to have that many? Jesus. Um, Like, this isn't a takeout restaurant. Like... You can't doggy bag that shit. <laughs> Please don't. But about the paperwork, because Ugh. you know how much I fucking love paperwork. I know how much you love paperwork. I'm a monster. Uh, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, Tan would charge like thousands of dollars for background checks. Like the adoption fee was $700. She would charge like thousands of dollars for these phony background checks that she did not do most of the time. Um, I mean, why would you? That's, that, that, that's not the grift. That might, lead to accountability and who wants that no uh but yeah so most of these kids were playing being placed in totally unvetted adoptive homes which is not a great idea Mm. the documentation on the children was similarly fucked many of the files of the children were fictionalized entirely before being presented to the adoptive parents which covered up the child's circumstances prior to being placed with the society When an adoptive parent discovered that the information on the child was incorrect, such as in cases of falsified medical histories, Ah, there it is, there it is, there it is. Tan often threatened the adoptive parents with possible legal action that would force a surrender of their children by demonstrating that they were unfit parents. So they're like, she's basically like, oh, are you going to mention to literally fucking anyone that this is a clearly falsified medical record because, like, your kid suddenly has an appendix where I said that they didn't? I'm going to have that child taken away from you. Like, these are not people that are like, I want to return my kid. Um, no, they're just... It, it's it's funny you brought up the appendix thing. I was, like, reversing it. It's like, yeah, so it turns out, like, this kid's missing half of his organs and, like, has a brain injury and, like... a you know? Well, in those cases, like, at the same time, the Tennessee Children's Home Society, I have to keep saying the children, the Tennessee Children's Home Society, because there is currently a Tennessee Children's Home, which is completely unaffiliated, but should probably pick a different fucking name. Probably. They had sort of a return policy, I guess? Oh, like, you know, 90 days, you know, won't void the warranty. Yeah. In a letter drafted in 1947, Tan's attorney, Abe Waldhauer, I don't know why I bothered writing that down, his, her attorney, fuck it, he's never mentioned again, as is my way. Uh, <laughs> hold on, Susie Cream Cheese is texting me to find out where her husband is, because her husband is uh, out back whacking down trees with my husband. That's fine. I was going to make a comment that Beans is staring at me from your kitchen and shaking slightly. Which I know is sort of normal beans, but, like, he hasn't moved <laughs> other than to shake. And I'm wondering, like, what he's trying to tell me via telepathy. I do love her so much. She says, so everyone is hanging out without me. If I was willing to put on underwear or leave the house at all, I would feel like I was missing out. And, you know, honestly, same. I am. Same. We- I'm wearing a bra for you. Oh, that's so kind. You didn't have to. And also because I knew that I was going to be on a Zoom call with men this afternoon. But I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Where were we? Uh, <laughs> okay, so there was this bean shaking and... Dogs were shaking. Chaos ensued. Um, but yeah, so, so, so the return policy. Right, 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 um, right. Yes, yes. So her attorney drafted this letter uh, that basically said that pr- prospective adoptive couples had, quote, complete custody and control of a child for one year and may submit the child to any physical or mental examination they wish and take any steps they may desire to ascertain they have a healthy and normal child. If it is not, the Tennessee Children's Home takes it back without question, which is so gross. It's very gross. That kind of reminds me of you. You've heard of that, um, that YouTube Instagram couple that gave up their uh, autistic Chinese kid. Yeah, yeah, that one where they were like, "Oh, I mean, we deliberately got a child with disability so it would look good," and then like it turns out there's actual effort in that. So I guess whoopsie doodle. 
He's with a new family that's able to take care of his needs. We re- they actually, I think the specific word they use is rehomed. Mm-hmm. They rehomed him. Like, like, like a Pomeranian. A, like a Pomeranian. Yeah. Woof. Yeah, so gro- gross ableism. While in her care, Tan mistreated the children with reports of neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and murder. Sort of an escalating order. Yeah, whoa, okay. That escalated, <laughs> that escalated very quickly. Um, with no housing facilities, the society held children awaiting placement in public facilities and foster homes. In the 1930s, Memphis had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation, largely due to Tan. Yay, we're number one! one. The children were frequently sedated, and those who were difficult to place were allowed to die of malnutrition. Ugh. Yep. Tan regularly ignored doctors' recommendations for sick children, denying them care or medicine, which often led to preventable deaths from illnesses such as diarrhea. Oh my god. And this is in the 40s. This is not like the 1890s you have died of dysentery. This is, like, they knew about electrolytes then. Yeah. Jesus Christ. While some of her victims are known to be buried in Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, Tennessee, other children were never accounted for, and the exact number of deceased children remains unknown, with estimates of about 500 deaths due to mistreatment. Cool. What a cool number that is. What a cool, cool number that is. I, so... I read this one article. I, you know, I, I always am doing that research hustle. I read this one article that was basically like, she was such a butch lesbian. She must have sexually abused those children herself. Oh, and I, yeah. which is who also just a direction to go with that. Mm. Um, so I do just want to mention it for all of those who are listening. Like, we may have talked about the fact that she was gay and adopted her wife. That does not mean she's a child molester. No, she's a I, murderer. Not she's a, a murderer. Yeah, there's a difference. Not a child molester. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Jesus Christ. So as you might have guessed, Tan could not have done all of this for so long on her own. That's true. It. I mean, this is quite the one woman enterprise. I mean, I really appreciate, you know, a hashtag lady boss, but uh, uh, I guess mm. you do need some staff at some point. Uh, so most notably, like, like there was this Memphis political boss that she apparently had ends with. All of that is like very nebulous. I don't focus on it because this is more interesting to me. Um, she was helped by Memphis family court judge Camille Kelly, who I mentioned earlier, who used her position of authority to sanction Tan's tactics and activities. Tan would identify children as being from homes which could not provide for their care, and Kelly would push the matter through her dockets. Kelly also severed custody of divorced mothers, placing the children with Tan, who then arranged for adoption of the children into Homes better able to provide for the children's care. Which also just ignores the fact that many children were placed into homes where they were used as child labor on farms or with abusive families. So we got two lady bosses. Two lady bosses. And she was, like, also definitely paying the judge in case that was not clear. I mean, yeah, of course. Like, she was not entirely painting this out to be a charitable enterprise of, like, they need to be placed elsewhere. I mean, they need to be placed as I sit, slip you a 40, slip you a hundo. Big ol' hundo. Thank you. Notable personalities who used tan services included Joan Crawford. So that was a thing. Also, the actress June Allison and her actor husband Dick Powell, um... Meanwhile, professional wrestler Ric Flair was actually trafficked by Tan as a baby? I, okay. Yeah? You know what's funny? I know that name not because I know fuck all about wrestling, but because that is a name that my husband has mentioned, and I went, and upon him mentioning, going, well, I still don't know fuck all about wrestling. Well, now you know one thing about him that you can bum him out with. Yeah. The next time he tries to bring up professional wrestling or Ric Flair. New York Governor Herbert Lehman, who signed a law sealing birth certificates in New York adoptees in 1935, also adopted a child through the agency. So hmm. the guy who made there be less transparency hmm. in adoptions to people in New York 
had adopted through this shady bitch. I doubt that's related. Mm. I doubt. That's just mm. coincidental. Mm. Throughout the 40s, questions began to build about the operation of the society uh, and its closed board of trustees. By 1950, families that had used the society to adopt children along with those who had lost their children while in the society's temporary, and I'm using heavier quotes for that, uh, temporary custody, finally gained the attention of state authorities who, who placed the operation under investigation. She had worked there since 1923. Most of this happened in the 40s and 50s. In- like in the 40s through 1950s, because I guess it stopped in 1950. Following a 1950 state investigation, it was revealed that Tan had arranged for thousands of adoptions under questionable means. State investigators discovered that the society was basically a front for a black market adoption ring. And they found out about the financial irregularities and that Judge Kelly was complicit. And they found out all the shit that I told you about. And how else do you think that I found out about it? Um, mm-hmm. Tan is estimated to have stolen over 5,000 children. Hashtag lady boss. Hashtag lady boss. Again, 500 <laughs> of those died. At least. At Ten, least. 10% roughly. Ugh. 10% child mortality among the ones that you decided to steal. Yeah. Cheesy. Um, crazy. Yeah. That's uh, not great odds. But don't worry. There's justice because New York and California vowed to take action, but the children's adoptions were never actually investigated and no children were restored to their families. Justice. But, but, Tan did die of uterine cancer three days before the state filed charges against the society, thus evading all prosecution, like with her death, but still. I mean, it's very convenient uterine cancer. Very convenient uterine (laughs) cancer, Miss Tan. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Judge Kelly announced the same year that she would retire after 20 years on the bench, uh, and she was not prosecuted for her role in the scandal, uh, and then she died five years later. With convenient uterine cancer. I don't know. Convenient some women organ cancer, because, of course, these things cannot be untied to one another. Mm Mm-hmm. The George Tan slash Tennessee Children's Home Society scandal resulted in adoption reform laws in Tennessee in 1951. Thank Christ. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty embarrassing to, like, have figured all that out and been like, I don't know, the system works pretty good. Like, only one out of ten children that were stolen died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, the Tennessee Children's Home Society was closed in 1950 and is not to be confused with the modern-day ministry known as Tennessee Children's Home, which actually is accredited by the state of Tennessee. But again, change your name. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's certainly not a history I would want to be associated no. with. No. No, there's, uh, there is a little slippage of the keys during the Google search and suddenly, whoa boy. Like the good news is because of the amount of publicity that like the fact that Joan fucking Crawford had adopted two children from George Tan, um, like the amount of popularity that that had brought across, like people actually started to put two and two together, like not that Many, if any, children were actually restored to their birth parents, but, like, especially in the 80s with, like, unsolved mysteries and shit, there was a not insignificant amount of people who, like, reached out and put ads in papers and, like, were reunited with their parents. The fucked up thing, she was advertising babies in the goddamn newspaper with pictures of the babies. So, like, I don't think it was uncommon for parents to be like... That's my kid is, that got stole that baby? in the newspaper, and then, like, they try to sue her for it, and, of course, it goes across Judge Kelly's docket, so nothing ever happens. Right. Yep. So, that's what child trafficking looks like. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, yeah. There's very rarely any confusion that you're kind of buying a child. And, I, I mean, and, and I think, <sighs> to kind of clarify... Not all these adoptive parents were just buying children. 
They no. were paying a lot of money to adopt children. Yes. And sometimes those parent people were shitty and ended up sending the child to the field to work. But, like, it wasn't like yeah. these families were like, oh, cool, I want to own a child slave today. Let me call the child slave. Let's look in the yellow pages. Look up child slave, 1-800-CHILD-SLAVE-FOR-ME. Yeah. And then that's not <laughs> that's not what it looks like. 1-800-CHILD-SLAVE-FOR-ME? Yes. <laughs> Is it possible to, to register that phone number so that people can call and leave us voicemails? So, yeah, it, it, it's, just, it's, it's just not what people think it looks like. I mean, these children were trafficked. Also... I mean, I think that's the whole thing that, you know, like, people you think trafficked and they immediately think, oh, like, transported. It's for sex and, and they're in far away. Yeah, I mean, it's either a sex thing or it's like they literally are put in, like, planes and shit. And that's not always the case. But No. But, yeah, it's like, you know, this this is child trafficking, but it's not the parents. It's this lady. It's this lady literally selling children, well, selling, getting money for children by having an adoption scam. Yeah. Like... If there is hinky shit like this, most of the time it will look halfway legitimate. Right. It's not... It doesn't look like, hey, I want to buy some cabinets. Wink. 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 And and even that, the idea of legitimate, it's like, okay, so this, like, crazy underground, like, child trafficking ring that is so powerful that nobody knows about it, and yet everybody knows about it, is going to advertise it on the internet, like, in a very obvious, like cabinet like are you kidding me you don't think they have i don't know the deep web or whatever the fuck you talking about you know what i mean you don't think that they have like specific liaisons right like you're, you're gonna everything on wayfair is overpriced well that's true that's that's yeah. very true but yeah it's like that thing would blow open in a minute and obviously with, with well, well the entire thing with it is it didn't it took nine years from their losing their accreditation right. to it actually blowing but up Georgia like tan first of all had an organization mm-hmm. that looked legitimate and like she hobnobbed with the right people for all of it to look legitimate it's not that she went up to parents and said like would you like to buy a child slave today i yeah. have a few in my limousine like that's not what it looks like, it's a family who goes to what they consider a reputable adoption agency saying, like, can I adopt a kid? She goes, sure, it'll be hella expensive. I really don't want to disprove our point, but there were apparently some instances where she literally went door to door with babies and were like, you like? I'm sorry, what? In her limousine? Yeah. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one... It, 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 it's in- I, I guess, I mean, they sold vacuums door to door in the 40s. Like, I guess that's part of the culture. I mean, like, it, and it's in my sources. You can go and hang out in my sources and have fun with that. Like, there was one instance where it was recorded by, the, like, this little boy that had been trafficked by Georgia Tan. It was, like, him and this little girl got taken around and, like, shown door to door. And she went up to this wealthy family store and, and she was like, do you want these two children? And they were like, well, we'll take the girl, but the boy has something wrong with him because he had like a a rash because he was allergic to milk i did not retain enough of the rest of that story to really know what happened to him except for he lived and told this story to i think like the tennessee news gazette again it's in the sources maybe the moral of the story is people are fucking stupid because she also i mean Selling babies in the paper and piling in the back of her limousine, and I don't know, people are fucking stupid. She's that fucking obvious about it. You think there's a global conspiracy that, like, is right? super hush-hush? Like, are you ki- kidding me? I mean... <sighs> That's like, and again, this is super tangential, but it's like bringing up, like, when people are like, oh, well, like, of course that could happen. Jeffrey Epstein had a whatever he had. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, everyone fucking knew Jeffrey Epstein yeah. had his thing. Like... It had been reported. Went to the island. Yes, rapist ass Bill Clinton went. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it. It was a. It was. People knew about it. They just weren't calling it what it was. I feel like you have an assumption of what this lady looks like, so I want you to manifest that most clearly in your mind. Well, again, I've already said she looks like Cruella Deville. Okay, you want to see a picture of her? Sure. Oh no, that makes it so much worse. Yeah, she definitely looks like. Someone who would make me cookies. She looks like, uh, you know the old lady in Courage the Cowardly Dog? Yeah. 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 Mm. That definitely looks like someone's gam-gam. But also, that would, 
that was the same picture that somebody was like, what a butch, coarse lesbian. And I'm like, what? He's wearing a floral blouse. He's wearing a floral cardigan. <laughs> Calm yourself. Oh, my God. The butches of lesbians in floral cardigans. Oh, my God. <sighs> well, that was very informative, very depressing. <laughs> Sorry. I guess is us in a nutshell. Um, Do we have a self-care plan? Uh... No, no. Uh, okay. We uh, the self the self care plan was um, Ginger was writing this on Sunday morning with muscle relaxers and took a nap. So in lieu of an official the written down, plan is to take muscle relaxers, take all the ones you can. I, White Claw, have a great day. In I, I was not <laughs> taking muscle relaxers and drinking. I do want to make that clear. I will say in lieu of like a formal self-care plan, I will just, you know, from from recent things that I have experienced, just give give you some give you some medical self-care tips. First and foremost, if you need to take a day off, take a fucking day off. First mm. of all, you're not disappointing anyone. And second, if you were disappointing anyone, fuck it. Who cares in the long term? You're not going to remember five years from now that you didn't go have lunch with Brenda and now she hates you and your life is ruined. That's mm -hmm. not how it works. Fuck Brenda. Second advocate for yourself for your doctor i know that like especially if you're somebody with a chronic condition or if you are like a woman or have an invisible illness like it can feel scary and you might feel like you're being hysterical if it is too much to talk to a doctor in person sometimes it might be nice just to use one of those little electronic messaging my chart or whatever the fuck apps and just like you know do what I did and text them all of your concerns tearfully at 3.30 in the morning and let them <laughs> weed that out in their own fucking time. They get paid enough. It's fine. And finally, steroids are great. Mm. We all kind of got sold a raft of shit with the, like, steroids make your balls tiny. I don't know why I was worried about steroids making my balls tiny. Um, a common concern. A common concern. But, like, that steroids were this awful thing that was, you know, going to ruin your life. And, like, no, they have legitimate medical purposes. And don't be afraid because, like, they have changed my life uh, <laughs> in the course of a week. And while I may still be taking muscle relaxers it's a lot less than i was taking i don't really remember what the last episode was so i look forward to listening to it with the rest of you <laughs> well actually that was really good advice um but i still think muscle relaxers and white claw should tack tack the in there as a ps but you know i i cannot sign on to that uh, send all of your lawsuits to ren martinez at mm -hmm. this fnguypod.com yep just at me mm. um well you know i guess it's gonna be all for us this week if you like what you're hearing and you should our dulcet tones are the sweetest in all of the land mm. Check us out on thisfnguypod.com or on Twitter at thisfnguypod or on Facebook at thisfuckingguy where we post the dankest of memes. So dank. So dank. Uh, you can donate to our Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com slash thisfnguypod. Uh, we should be, and I, I may be a little bit premature in saying this. Uh, but, um, we should be posting an addendum to our very popular Caitlin Bennett episode, mm -hmm. uh, on our Patreon in like the next week or so. So that might be a zesty little treat for you. Or if you're not in a position where you can donate right now, like that's also fun. It'll that's still cool. be there. It'll still be there whenever you just get around to it. It's fine. It's fine. You're fine. You're fine. As always, I'm Ginger Golub. I'm Ren Martinez. Here's a bonus self-care tip. Moisturize your feet. And don't be this fucking guy. Peace. This fucking guy.